Next week, uh, the Prince of Egypt, there's a flyer in your bulletin, will be happening, just as a reminder. And then two weeks from now on the 12th, Wednesday, if you're part of the RISE program, uh, Bible workers, you'll need to show up for that. So just as a reminder. And I think Marcy had one more uh, announcement. Good morning, church family. It's good to see you all here today who braved the cold. So two things. The first thing that I have is Women's Ministries is this Monday night. It will be down here in the fireside room starting at 6.30. The um, awesome thing about it is a friend of mine, Susie Stuvland, is going to be teaching us about flower arranging. She's also going to be talking about how she stepped out in faith and started her own flower garden and her own flower farm called Maggie and Me. So I think that's gonna be a lot of fun. So this Monday night, downstairs, fireside room, 6.30. And bring snacks. If you can bring a pint jar, that would be great as well. The second thing Ryan and Sean are gonna help me out with, um, it's the first Sabbath of the year, so I always do promises. So um, they each have a basket, we'll pass it down the rows and um, take out your promise that you can claim for this year and um, it is prayed for, that your promise will be specific to you for this year. All right, while they're doing that, we have a little church business to take care of. Uh, I, under the understanding that the nominating list got handed out this morning, and it's been in the bulletin for the last two weeks, so uh, it's now time to vote on that. So, all right. So I have, a, and a second. All in favor? All right. Thank you very much. Good morning and happy Sabbath, everybody. Can you hear me out there? Okay, perfect. That means that this microphone is working, which is good news. And um, it is the Lord's New Year present to me that we have a working headset now. Can we praise God for that? <laughs> Let's remember to thank our audio-visual team for all of the work that they put in as we start this new year with one of my favorite songs, we welcome this new year, we worship the King of all kings who is worthy of all praise in joining together in singing, Shout 
to the Lord. Let's go ahead and stand for this song together. Are you hearing the guitar out there? Making sure everything's in working order here. When I was coming down the hill on the way from Pilot Rock to here, there was a moment when I was no longer driving the car, and um, it was just kind of tobogganing to church. Um, and so <laughs> in that moment, uh, like Tracy just said, I prayed, Jesus, take the wheel. And um, we got back on the road again, and we got here. So I'm ready to shout to the Lord. I hope you are. My Jesus... My Savior, Lord, there is none like you. All of my days, I want to praise the wonders of your mighty love. My comfort, my shelter, a tower of refuge and strength. Let every breath, all that I am, Never cease to worship you. Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. Power and majesty, praise to the King. Mountains bow down and the seas will roar at the sound of your name. I sing for joy at the works of your hands. Forever I'll love you, forever I'll stand. For nothing compares to the promise I have in you. All right, now we've warmed up from the uh, nine-degree weather we have out there. So let's try this again. My Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you. All of my days, I want to praise the wonders of your mighty love. My comfort, my shelter, a tower of refuge and strength. Let every breath, all that I am, never cease to worship you. Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. Power and majesty, praise to the King. The mountains bow down and the seas will roar at the sound of your name. And I sing for joy at the works of your hands. Forever I'll love you, forever I'll stand. Because nothing compares to the promise I have. And nothing compares to the promise I have. And nothing compares to the promise I have in you. All right, you may all be seated. Thank you for singing so beautifully. Today's offering is for local church budget, 
start out the new year on the right foot and give lots. And there's a box at the back and one here over here at the side that uh, I don't know that we've ever filled them to overflowing, but it might be worth a shot. Let's pray over those offerings. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much for the blessings you've bestowed on each of us as a church family, as a family of God. And we look forward to one day soon being able to see how you will reap and harvest the the flock that uh, have grown because of the word that's been spread. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, time for children's story. And is there one, two? (laughs) So you're going to have to make the rounds. I know that there's people handing out dollars. Uh, I can see Rhonda back there. She's got a fistful of dollars. And I've got some if you make it up here. Uh, Let's see. Are you coming, Claire? There, there will be a story by Dana. What a nice looking group of kids. All right. Ernest (coughs) lived in a little village that overlooked a range of mountains. And in that mountain range was a group of rocks called Stone Face. Why do you think it was called Stone Face? Why do you think? You have any idea? (gasps) Why? Why? Um, Because the stones look like sea animals? No. Any other guesses? Charlie. <gasps> good. Very good. Yes. The stones look like a face, but not just any face. It looked like a face of an old man that looked very noble and kind and had a smile on his face. And Ernest was fascinated by the stone face, and he would go out every day and look at the stone face rocks. And there was a legend in his town that said that someday someone would come to the town that looked like the man in the stone face. And Ernest was 
fascinated by that. And he, every, he, every day he would go out and he would wonder, I wonder before I die if I will ever get to meet the man that looks like stone face. And he would go out every day and look. And as his life went on, he would look at all the people who would come to town. And he just never quite met someone that looked just like the man in stone face. And he got old, and he was um, elderly, but he was very respected in his town. And everyone thought Ernest was very noble and kind and always had a smile on his face. And one day, when he was in the village square, he was giving a speech, and the sun shone just right on Stoneface Mountain, and the people said, look, look, Stoneface looks just like who? Ernest. Ernest looks just like the man in Stoneface. Ernest went out every day and looked at Stoneface, and he began to look like the man in Stoneface. And do you know that if we look at Jesus every day, we will begin to look like Jesus in our character? We will begin to act like Jesus? We will begin to think like Jesus? We will be able to begin to say words that Jesus would say? And how can we look at Jesus every day? It's not like a mountain that we can look at. How, Charlie? Pray. Very good. We can pray. And that is one good way to look at Jesus every day. And you know what else we can do to look at Jesus every day? We can look at what? Sea animals? Look at sea animals? Look at sea animals. Yeah? Yeah, that, yes, uh -huh. because if you look at creation, that's you right. see God's fingerprints. Nature, oh. if we look at nature, if we go outside and look at the beautiful snow, even though it's so cold, we can see Jesus in nature. And there's one other very important way that we can look at Jesus every day. And it has something to do with this. It's the first day of the new year, and guess what? There's a challenge in our church that we what? Read the Bible through this year. And I bet you almost everybody up here can read, right? So you can read the Bible every day. You can do this challenge. If you don't have one of these, you can go pick one up in the back. And today is January 1, the first day of the year the first day of the challenge, and you can read your Bible every day. And if you can't read very well, I bet you your mom and dad would be glad to read the Bible to you every morning or every night. And that would be a good way to spend some time together as a family. And the more time that you spend with Jesus, the more you will look like him. So that's my challenge to you, to spend every day reading your Bible. Thank you for listening.
Okay, now for the second song for our praise sing today, we will be doing Blessed Assurance. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. And please forgive me, there were songs submitted, I believe, for praise sing, and our praise band could not make it over uh, snow and ice and sleet and rain and whatever else they would have to cross to get here today, so... I chose, um, I did remember the Shout to the Lord song, but I chose, um, in place of Shout to uh, the other songs that were chosen, I chose this song, Blessed Assurance, because this song reminds each and every single one of us that are choosing to keep our eyes upon Jesus, as we just heard in our children's story this morning, through reading the Bible daily, that his story becomes our story. We get to proclaim together, this is my story this is my song. This is the testimony of Jesus Christ in my life. And so join me in singing about the blessed assurance that we have in Jesus. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born in His Spirit, washed by His blood. This is my story, this is my song, I'm praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, I'm praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture now burst on my side. Angels descending, bring from above Echoes of mercy, whispers of love And this is my story, this is my song I'm praising my Savior To stand with me here at the front and make your requests known to the Lord, because where two or more are gathered together in his name, there am I in their midst. I have found a new life. It was found in Jesus Christ. He took all my pain, renewed all my strength, and gave me new life again so God what should I do can I make strides for you I'm ready to go from the safety I've known but I cannot do this alone I want to be dangerous, I want to be strong, Lord help me know that you carry me on, 
Cover my weakness, open my view. I want to be dangerous for you. So this is what I want to do. I live my life for you. But the times that I try, I can't get it right. So help me to trust that you'll move. I want to be dangerous. I want to be strong. Lord, help me know that you carry me on. Cover my weakness. Open my view. I want to be dangerous for you. So dwell inside, let your spirit abide, I want to be brave, I want to be brave, so dwell inside, let your spirit abide. I want to be brave, I want to be brave, God dwell inside and change my life, will God make me brave, God make me Lord, help me know that you carry me on. Cover my weakness, open my view. I want to be dangerous for you. want to be dangerous only for you. God, make me dangerous only for you. Amen. Amen. This is our prayer, Lord. Amen. 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 This is our prayer, Lord. Amen. Amen. Will you? Please join me in prayer this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us all here safely this morning to worship you. We thank you for being here with us. 
the sunshine shining through the windows. Lord, oftentimes this time of year we make decisions and choices and hopes and dreams for this next year for ourselves. And there's nothing wrong with that, Lord. But I ask that you would give us a better glimpse of you this year and that you would draw our hearts closer to you and that we might fall more in love with you. May we see a picture of you that we've never seen before. Lord, that's, that's my prayer. And I pray for all of us that we are able to give you the time and our day that you can, you can reveal yourselves to us. Lord, we live in a word, world that is hurting and, and sad for all kinds of reasons. We shared them in Sabbath school this morning. Lord, there's other people here that have things they want to bring to you. Lord, I pray that you will take them from them and lighten their hearts, give them comfort and assurance that you have a plan and you have their best interest at hand. Lord, we have praises of bringing us through this last year and your guiding and caring over each and every one of us. We thank you for those. And Lord, this morning as Pastor brings us a message from you, we pray that you'll open our eyes and ears to hear it and to see it and that we'll go away from this place better for the time spent here into the world around us better to serve it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Scripture this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. This is from the New King James Version. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So yeah, Whoa. <laughs> testing one, two, okay, we're good.
Everything that has happened in this service to this point is the reason why I never miss church. It's because even in the midst of the busy holiday season as we're rustling and bustling about and I am here in my office and attending to the duties of my work, even as we are all focused on a million things, when we come together on the Sabbath day, when we come together and the Lord fulfills his promise to be present with us, in that moment we watch the Holy Spirit bring a worship service together that was only planned in the last couple of days. Yes, it was in my office, I believe, Thursday morning doing Bible studies that I was building Legos with two of my friends, Owen and Allie. When, in the midst of all of the holiday bliss of building all of our galaxies and spaceships and everything else with our Star Wars Legos, Sandra suddenly 
opens the door of my office to say, Pastor Farr, do you yet have a scripture and a sermon title? To which I looked at her and looked at the kids and said, yes, in about five or ten minutes, I will. (laughs) You see, our life gets so busy, our life is so full of things that are happening in our everyday lives and all around us that we often forget, we often miss the presence of God in our life right in front of us, and so we resort to silly things We resolve to live our lives in ways that we hope to live, which no matter how much we tell our friends we will live or we tell the Lord we will live in prayer, we never seem to do. And so, my friends, this morning I have a question for each and every single one of you at the Pendleton Church. I posed the same question to the folks at Pilot Rock, and here is my question for you. Have you yet made your New Year's resolutions? One of the members out at Pilot Rock looked at me and he said, yeah, I just keep printing the same list that I had since 1991, (laughs) and I'm still working on that. (laughs) And the minute I get one of the things on the list, the rest of the things on the list go bye-bye, and I'm back where I started again. And so, this year in 2022, I have printed my 1991 list, it'll do. How many of you have had that experience? It's New Year's Eve. You're all excited for the new year. You have promised yourself. You have made a resolve. You know, the root word of resolution is resolve. I have resolved. I have decided. I have made the decision that this year I will not drink any Starbucks coffee at all. Not one single cup. All right. Some of you understand. You see, in the book of Romans, it says that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and it's an interesting, peculiar situation we find ourselves in because when we make mistakes, when we fall and we do things that we know that we shouldn't do, somehow the devil convinces us that we're the only ones. Isn't that true? How many of us end up making the mistakes we make in our life? We make those resolutions. We resolve to do the things that we know God wants us to do. We start off our year saying, this is the year. I'm finally going to get it right. We're all excited. The ball drops at midnight. We count it down. Happy New Year. Everyone's excited. Woo! Holiday seasons came to a close. We made it yet to a new year of life. I'm so excited, and I've got so many things that I'm going to do. Well, friends, there's a story in the Bible. If you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, you don't have to go that far into the beginning of your word. You will get into the word. You will find in the book of Exodus, in the book of Exodus chapter 19, verse 8, a picture painted in time of God's people making promises that they can't keep. You see, we're not so different from Adam and Eve. We're not so different from the people who lived on the earth after the fall, and we are not so different from the children of Israel that God had called out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, to be his people in the wilderness. And here we find Israel at Mount Sinai, and if we actually start in Exodus chapter 19 in verse 4, we see Moses is actually delivering a message to the people, and Moses had gone up to the mountain of God, right, and the Lord had called to him, and he said, thus, this is what you shall say to the house of Israel, right? Now, why is Moses up on the mountain getting the message from God and then going back and telling people? Does anyone know? Why, why, yes, he was up there to get the Ten Commandments. He wasn't there yet, actually, though. He hadn't gone up for the Ten Commandments. 
he had actually gone up to meet with the Lord, and the Lord was talking to him. Why was it that the Lord was the one talking to Moses, and then Moses had to go talk to the people? Does anyone here have any ideas? The people were afraid. We're going to find that out from Scripture. Craig, I think that you might be right. In Exodus 20, 19, where we're going next, we will find out that that is the truth. But first, let's look at Exodus 19, verse 4. Here is the message that Moses delivered to the people on behalf of God because the people didn't want to go anywhere near God. What does it say? It says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Wow. Hey, all you got to do is obey the covenant that I'm going to give you, and you will be a special people, a kingdom of priests. Now, why would they be a kingdom of priests? Was God trying to set up Israel as a nation that was going to have God in their life because he wanted to lord it all over the world, that Israel was the only nation who was blessed and had God so that everyone else would feel bad about their false gods and be destroyed? Was that what God's plan was? What is a kingdom of priests going to do? What, they're going to tell others. Right, and maybe by the way they live, others will see the kingdom of Israel and they'll go, whoa. You see, because back in Bible times, people believed that the gods were the ones who gave them favor in battle. The gods were the one who gave them favor in trade. The gods were the reason that we had plenty of food. The gods were the reasons that the economy was, the gods were the reasons that the army was winning the wars. The gods were the reasons and so God says, I am. I'm the only God. I'm going to bring you out of Egypt. I am going to lay low one of the most powerful dictators on planet Earth that is building an entire kingdom on the back of slaves. I'm going to bring you out of slavery. I'm going to bring you to myself to Mount Sinai. And I'm going to give you a covenant. I'm going to promise to bless you and make you a blessing to the entire nation. But what happens? Oh, yes, here we go. It says, Now, therefore, if you indeed will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom of priests to a holy nation. What do you suppose the people said? Moses proclaims to them, These are the words that the Lord has given me. It's good news. He's made a promise for you. And the people say back to Moses, What? Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord, verses, verse 8, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Let's turn in our Bibles to Exodus 20, 19. We're just going to jump over one more chapter. And here we see that Moses has now received the Ten Commandments of God. And as Moses was up on the mountain, what does it say in Exodus 20, verse 18? It says, now all the people witnessed the thunderings and lightnings flashing, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, and when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us, and we will hear you, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. Huh. Interesting. Isn't it interesting who, how, how just one chapter earlier that the first part of the message that God gave to the children of Israel was a remembrance of the fact that God had been the one who had taken them out of the land of Egypt, 
who had laid low Pharaoh, who was speaking out against God and his people, and had delivered them from slavery into freedom. And this same people, who just watched the mighty acts of God deliver them, open the Red Sea, bring them out of Egypt into the wilderness, and had even provided for them all the way to Mount Sinai, this same people said, Moses, you know what? I'll tell you what. You go and talk to God for us because we're afraid of him. Does this make any logical sense? Imagine this, if you were being persecuted and you were living in a kingdom where you were under slavery, that someone came and delivered you and told you that it was God and you saw miraculous signs and wonders, you saw the Red Sea opened, you saw the manna fall from heaven, you were cared for by this God, that you turn around and then say that you are afraid of the God who has delivered you from slavery, is providing for the water and the food that you need, is taking care of you and has promised, if you'll only live by my covenant, I will give you everything and make you a blessing to the entire world. And our response is, (laughs) you know what, listen God, all that you said we'll do, but could you kind of give the message to Moses and then have him deliver it to us because we don't really want to be around you because you're kind of scary. Does this make any sense? You see, friends, I'm here today to talk to you about resolution versus revolution. Now, when you hear the word revolution, what do you think? You think about war, right? But there's actually, if you look up the word revolution in Merriam-Webster's dictionary, you actually find a second meaning for the word revolution that is very commonly used, and it's a revolution in, in one's own personal life. Because, friends, we can have revolutions that take place in the world, right? But revolution can also be used in your own personal life. And when it is applied in this way, Merriam-Webster in the dictionary says that a revolution is a complete 180 degree radical change. Complete. No part of the change left undone. You see, in Exodus 19 verse 8, we see God's people saying, oh, you know what, God? You've told us that we have to keep this covenant. We'll keep the rules. All that you have said we will do. And in Exodus 20 verse 19, we realize that the people of God are willing to keep the rules, but they don't want to have a relationship with the God who gave them the rules. And there's a reason that I bring this up today, because friends, we are living our lives in modern day. We actually have the Apostle Paul to thank for helping us to understand the situation that's happening here. We are actually currently living our lives in the same way that the people in Exodus 19 and 20 were, because each and every single day and each year and week and month of our life, we keep saying, here is all of the things I'm going to do. We know what's right. I mean, think about it. When you read the Ten Commandments, honor your mother and your father, don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't covet your neighbor's stuff. I mean, is there anything in there that sounds unrealistic? Is there anything in there where you're actually saying to God, you know what, your rules, you're just trying to keep us from having fun. Your rules, they're really actually not very good because if we didn't have your rules, God, then we would all be going around the countryside having the time of our lives and living our dreams, right? No, it's obvious to us. Paul actually pointed this out. I'm gonna go to that passage in in a moment here in Romans chapter seven. So if you're following along with me on Facebook, YouTube, or here live in the church or on the live stream, go ahead and open your Bibles to Romans chapter 7, because that's where we're going. But the point that I'm making to you is is this. 
We look at the law, and just like the children of Israel did in the Bible, we say, well, yeah. I mean, okay, love God and love others. Simple. Of course, all that you have said we will do. And, and, and by the way, we are going to receive blessings from on high, so much so that we will be filled to the brim with God's blessings, to overflowing, and we will be a blessing to every person we've ever seen. Who would hear this and say no to it? Nobody, of course, we're going to say all that you have said we will do. But you know what? It's very interesting that in today's world, we have the same problem that the, the Israelites did then at Mount Sinai. We have the problem of being more than happy to follow rules, to earn God's kingdom, and we are all terrified or unwilling to actually enter into a relationship with God, which is the only thing which will actually fulfill the law. Now, you may say, wait a minute. No, 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 no. Hold on, Pastor Farr. How can you say that? Well, let's go look at where, what God's word has to say. I actually printed it out in the New Living Translation so that it's a little bit easier in modern day language for you to understand what is happening here. Let's find out why God gave the children of Israel the law and passed it on down to us. Let's find out why Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law, not to do away with it. Are we ready to find out? Are we ready to find out, young man? Are you ready to find out? And look on your face tells me that you are prepared to find out. Right here it says, in Romans chapter 7, verse 7. Am I in the right place? God's law reveals our sin. That's the, high, that's the, the heading for the passage in the New Living Translation 2, verse 7. Am I in the right place? Romans 7, verse 7. Okay, just checking to make sure you're following along in your Bibles. And here we are. It says, God's law reveals our sin is the header here, and it says, well, then, I am suggesting that the law of God, am I suggesting? Well, then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? I mean, because after all, after God gave us the law, it seems like we have a whole bunch of problems, doesn't it? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have even known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. But sin, separation from God, used this command to arouse all kinds of covetousness desires within me. Now, what is he saying? Is he saying that the law caused him to covet things? No. What he's saying is, is that the law let him know that coveting is not right, and then he realized, wait a minute, I do all kinds of coveting. Because before, he wasn't even aware of the coveting that he was doing. Now, if there was no law, sin would have, if there was no law, sin would would not have that power. At one time, I lived without understanding the law, but when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life to me, and I died. So what he's saying is, is in the moment that I actually realized that coveting was wrong, I realized that I covet, and in that moment, I realized that I am living a life in my body which is separated from God and leading to death. I realized that I actually live opposed to the law, even though I claim, oh, yeah, this makes common sense. All that you've said, God, I'm going to do it. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me, but still the law itself is holy, and its commands are holy and right and good. But how can that be, Paul asks? Did the law, which is good, cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. You see, sin actually does not mean a list of things that you do. Sin is actually prescriptive of a problem that causes 
symptoms. And the Ten Commandments are actually a description of the symptoms that happen in the lives of people that are separated from a God that is love. You see, the Bible tells us, most simply, one of the shortest truths in all of the Bible is three words, which are the most, is the most beautiful truth which everything else is built on. Everybody can tell me what it is. Three words that everything is built on is what? God is love. We know. His commands actually reveal his character of love. All of us say to ourselves, this character of God's love, which is revealed in the law, is a beautiful thing. We should all keep it. And then we turn around and we look into that mirror of the law and we see ourselves acting in every way, shape, and form, nothing like it. And in that moment, we realize, oh, no. Oh, no. I've got the problem with separation from God. I've got sin in my life. You see, each and every single one of us living in the world today are struggling with sin. If you're not struggling with sin, then your heart is not beating. And here it says, so the trouble is not with the law, for it is the spiritual and good thing. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human a slave to sin. You see, we, like the Israelites, have been called out of slavery in Egypt, but we, like the Israelites at Mount Sinai, are still in slavery to the slavery of sin that was actually holding them down in Egypt. Because, friends, if we leave Egypt, if we come out of the world, but we stay exactly the same, what changes? Won't we just build the same world we left? You see, and this is the thing that I actually see all too often about God's people and God's church. It's very sad that we come out of the world and we say, oh, the cross before me, the world behind me. I have decided to follow Jesus. But then we end up building a kingdom made out of things rather than out of people because we are so busy making our resolutions to God and saying, all that you've said I will do, but God, please stay back. I don't want a relationship with you at all. No, 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 no. Please don't come into the other six days of the week. I'll come to church on Saturday. I'll pay my tithe. Oh, yeah, it all sounds good. All that you've said, I'll do. But you know what? During the week, could you just kind of leave me alone? Because when I spend time around you, it ends up revealing that I'm nothing like you. And here it is. He says, I don't really understand myself. Get this. You're going to like this part. For I want to do what is right. I want to do, I want so badly. I want to make that New Year's resolution. I want to do that thing that I know is good for me. I'm promising myself I'm going to do it. This is what I want to do. I want it. But then what does he say? I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Can you imagine that? We end up doing what we hate. We don't want to do it, but we find ourselves doing it again. And then again, we, we come to a new year, 2022, and we say, you know what, God? All that you've said, I will do. I'm going to make a new resolution. I'm going to make a resolve. I won't be like that anymore. This year is going to be different. I promise you. And then we set off to make that a reality, and we neglect our relationship with Jesus Christ, which is the only thing that can bring us out of slavery to sin. It says, instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good, so I am not the one doing wrong, but instead it is sin, it is the separation from God living in me that's doing it. You see, friends, 
When we are unplugged from love, it's impossible to love. And so when we say, God, all that you have said we will do, and yet we do not actually have a relationship with a God that is love, there is no hope. But I want to tell you that there is, there is hope this year because you don't have to spend New Year's Day making resolutions about what you're never going to do again. Instead, you can accept from Jesus Christ an absolute, complete revolution in your life. How many of you want to give up making resolves that you can't keep and ask Jesus to make a revolution in your life that he can keep? You see, we need to move from resolutions to the revolution that God has been wanting to bring into our life since the beginning of time. We need to move into the things that God has been wanting to do on us. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, laying in the jail cell on my back after my second DUI, I was reading this book called The Purpose Driven Life, and it said, look up 2 Corinthians 5, 18. And when I got there, I decided to read a couple of verses before, starting in verse 16. And if you go to 2 Corinthians in your Bible, you'll see what I was reading that day in my jail cell. I was laying there wondering how it happened. I had resolved to myself, I'll never drink and drive again. I'll, I'll never smoke another cigarette again. I'll, I'll stop using the cuss words. God, I promise I'm going to be different. Could you just help me out and get me out of this place that I'm in? I'm, I'm locked up in jail and I've become a slave to things that I keep saying I hate it. I don't want to do it. It doesn't make me feel good. But here I am again doing it. And there I am laying on this, in this jail cell reading a book that my dad sent me who had actually told me years previously that the Bible didn't mean anything. And he said, well, you know, you still believe in that God stuff, I think, so let me send you this book to encourage you while you're laying in jail after your second DUI. And I thought to myself, Dad, how about you send me bail money? Because I don't want to read this book. And I made the decision that I was going to read every chapter of the book and look up every single scripture referenced in the book. In fact, it was amazing because the book actually had a reference for every scripture that I was going to look up. And one day, I actually came across a chapter, four or five chapters into the book, that told me to go to 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Most of you are probably that are watching online or that are here in the congregation today are there already, and here we go. It says, therefore, ooh, I love the word therefore, and uh, what that actually means when you hear the word therefore is that as a result of what was just said before, this is true. And so what I'm going to have to challenge you to do is this. After church today, besides doing your one-year Bible challenge, besides doing your Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs reading, which will have you in 15 or 20 minutes on course to read the entire word of God in a year, also look at what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 before this verse. I'm not going to read it for you now. But I am going to say what will happen if you do read what's before it and live out what it actually describes there. It says, therefore, are we ready for this? Here we are with the solution. Are you ready for the solution to the problem? Yeah? You're a good kid. I like you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? He is a new creation. Oh, get this. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Does it say some things? Does it say, you know, like, let me resolve this year to just fix this problem, right? And then, and then maybe next year we can fix this problem. And then, and then maybe next year I'll, you know, it's like, oh, no, wait a minute. I'm doing that one thing that I didn't want to do again that I got rid of last year, and now I'm trying to fix this thing. We look like a total mess making our resolution and resolve, telling God, oh, yeah, you know what? Everything that you said, we're going to do it. We promise. We're going to be better this year. We're going to do it better. We're going we're gonna to live better. We're going to love people better. We're going to be a better church. We're going to represent you. We say all of this stuff. And what he says is, he says, therefore, hey, listen, guys. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I remember laying in that jail cell on that bench, on my back, reading that book. I looked it up. I was reading the passage, and suddenly something happened to me. 
I went from being in a spirit of mocking the word of God and what was in it as if it wasn't true to having a small doorway opened in my heart to the hope of God, and it was this. Laying on that bench in that jail cell, I wanted to believe. For a moment in time, I found myself looking at this picture that I could come to a Savior and have a relationship with Him. Instead of resolving to keep rules, I could, I could have a revolution in my life through a relationship with the King of the universe who was offering to move into my heart, who kept doing the things that I hated instead of doing the things that I wanted to do that kept leading me down paths to destruction and brokenness. And instead, I could live a brand new life. Jesus Christ could fulfill in me something that I'd never been able to do myself. And there on that jail sale, bench, I was saying to myself, you know, maybe if I get out of jail, there is hope for me. Because only days earlier, I had been in court sitting before the judge. He said, well, do you want to go back downstairs and go back to jail? Or do you want to go to treatment? And I looked that judge right in the eyes and I said, sir, if you let me out of here, you're wasting my time because I have figured something out about my life. If I promise you to never do it again, I'll leave this place and I'll do it again. Even if I hate it, I'll do it again. You might as well lock me up and throw away the key. With that, he said, well, you do understand what you're asking for. You see, a second DUI in less than four months means that I can give you five years consecutive, suspend one day. 365, suspend one, boom, county jail, five years. Pow. Downstairs I go. And that very day, Laying in my jail cell, angry at God, angry at my dad, angry at the whole world, angry at myself, angry at everything. Therefore, if anyone, does it say some people? Does it say the people that have kept their resolves and, you know, that do better than, no, 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 no. If anyone is in Christ, the old man that is living that life of separation from God that leads to death is now alive in Jesus Christ who's sitting on the throne of your heart. Don't just take one verse for it. Let me describe to you that this life is possible by a solution from resolutions to revolution in your life, and it's made possible by what we actually find practically outlined for us in the Bible. If you go in your Bibles, lastly, to the final few texts for today, to John 14, verses 15 through 21, you find a passage that is a favorite of mine and another friend of mine sitting in this church, Carol Gray. Carol Gray loves this passage because this passage is a promise that God has given you and me that brings us hope in the face of even the most dire circumstances. And when it was time for me to preach the memorial service of John Gray yesterday, Carol said, this verse needs to be included because it's the thing giving me hope in the face of the report that the devil has given me, which is that the one that I spent 56 years of my life with is gone, but that's not true, and I know it. The devil wants to convince me that I'm going to be all alone now that my husband's gone, but I know what the Bible says. The Bible says that there's a, a being that's in control of everything that wants to have a relationship with me. And if we go to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 15, we see here a beautiful promise that is for you and me, and thank you, Carol Gray, for reminding me of it yesterday. What does it say there? Right at verse 15, it says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Now, what did you hear there? You heard, keep my commandments, right? What did you hear before that, though? What does it say before, keep my commandments? If you love me. Oh, yes. And you see, 
You can't love someone if you don't have a relationship with them. If the relationship you have with the God of the universe is a resolve to keep a list of rules. If you're saying to God, all that you've said, I will do. If you're saying to God, all that you have said, I will do. You are entering into a contract with God which is impossible for you to keep. You see, because the commands of God are not fulfilled in keeping a list of abstract rules, but instead if we hear what Jesus is saying, he's saying, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, how is that possible? Because, friends, you and I live our lives in a world where Jesus is no longer here in the flesh. Isn't that true? He came here, he walked among the disciples, he did miracles, they saw all kinds of amazing things. He went to the cross, he died, he was buried in the tomb, he came back to life again, he was transfigured, he went to heaven. He is now sitting on the throne as the high priest in heaven, interceding for us day and night, and there's a reason why he's doing it. Let me reveal it to you in the rest of this passage, which is why I'm reading it to you today. It says, and I will pray. Who will pray? Jesus is going to pray. What is he going to pray for? He says, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. Ooh, Carol, isn't this good news? He will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. It doesn't know him, but you know him for he dwells with you and what will be in you. Friends, we live life from the inside out. And if we pray for the Holy Spirit to come into our life and Jesus lives on the throne of our heart from the inside out, guess what? We get to know Jesus, and it's his love in us. The one who said, I came to fulfill the law, not to do away with it, ends up fulfilling the law in our life through love because it's if you love me. It's if you have the love of God in you. It's if you have the love of God flowing through you. That's when you can finally do the things you want to do instead of the things you hate to do because really in reality, the hole that we have in our heart that makes us insane as we live our lives in this world is a big cross-shaped heart. The shape of God who is love that we long for and we try to fill it with all of these things during the week. And then we try to come to church and say, hey Moses, deliver the words of God to me because I'll do everything that he said but I don't want a relationship with him. And then we wonder why we fail. It's because we're trying to keep a list of rules without love. And love is the only thing that inspires us to live loving God and loving others, which is the character, the law, the covenant, the prophets. It's everything. Love is everything. And probably the most beautiful truth in the Bible is found in Romans chapter 8, the very next chapter in Romans that we were in, Romans 7. And this isn't even in my sermon, but let me just tell you that nothing in all of creation, he says, neither height nor depth, neither angels nor demons, neither the hellfire below, no, not even the gates of hell, nothing in all of creation can ever separate us from the love found in Christ Jesus. Therefore, therefore, anyone who is in Christ Anyone who is living in him, anyone who will let Jesus live in their heart will go away from living that old life which leads to death and live a life which leads to life eternal. You go back here and he says, I'll tell you what. I will not leave you orphans, but I will come to you. Pray for my Holy Spirit. The first thing that you want to do if you want to live your life 
having a revolution caused by Jesus Christ rather than making resolutions to keep a list of abstract rules disconnected from love is to start praying for the Holy Spirit in your life. In Pendleton Pilot Rock Church District, I've got good news. That's what we've been doing. And that's why we see people stepping up to serve through the nominating committee and church roles. That's why we see game nights in our church Children filling the halls of the church, smiling and having fun because the love of God is in this place. That's why we see our head deacon shoveling sidewalks day after day so that the pastor can get into his office when there's snow on the ground. That's why we see people saying, I'll do the special music. I'll help you, pastor. I'll give the Bible study. I'll go to that widow's house. The Pathfinder Club going out into the community and saying, you know what? Let's bring Christmas to people who don't have it. It's because when the Holy Spirit of God is living in your heart, the promise that we find in Jeremiah 13, 31 through 34 comes true. Jeremiah chapter 31, 31 through 34 says that the love of God, the Holy Spirit, can write the law of God on your heart and mind. It can become who you are. The separation that sin has caused between us and God has been torn down and taken away by Jesus Christ who died on Calvary's tree, not just to forgive you of the life of sin that you're living, but to set you free from slavery to it. And is that good news or what? All right. Now I must get to the second practical thing that you can do besides praying. You see, in God's word, 2 Corinthians 3.18, 2 Corinthians 3.18, I want you to actually look that up, mark it, and I want you to study the context of that because there we actually see in 2 Corinthians, the second letter to the church of Corinth that Paul is writing, he says, to the people there in Corinth, he says, guess what? He says, the same problem that the Israelites had at Mount Sinai, you have. And guess what, friends? There's a reason I'm bringing up this passage. It's because the same problem that the Israelites had at Mount Sinai, we have. And here's what it says. He says, here's the problem. They wanted Moses to wear a veil over his face to keep them from seeing the glory of God. But you, when you approach my word, have a veil over your hearts, which is why you can't see that Jesus Christ is the solution. The revolution that he can cause in your life is the solution. And it says, as you behold him, as you're praying for the Holy Spirit and reading the word of God daily in your lives, guess what the Holy Spirit does? It says that the Holy Spirit of God changes you from glory to glory to glory to be more like him. And here is what I want you to see in this moment. Friends, the word of God used to be a mirror that led to death. Didn't Paul say that? Oh, now that I know the law of God, now that I know the word of God, I see that I am a sinner separated from God and I am living a life which is leading to death. But what we are finding here in 2 Corinthians 3.18 is a beautiful promise in God's word which says now that mirror that showed us how bad we are when we look into it and we have the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ living in our heart. Now when we look in the mirror instead of seeing ourselves we see jesus and we become more and more and more like him because he says when the holy spirit comes into your life he removes the veil over your heart which causes you to misunderstand god therefore fearing him and not wanting a relationship with him and suddenly in that moment you are actually transformed the law of god's love is written on your heart and your mind and you want the relationship with god that actually can bring the revolution friends are you tired of making resolutions And are you ready to live a revolution? When I was sitting with Carol and her family, I want to tell you something that's beautiful. 
Can I share that, Carol? Christmas Eve. None of Carol's kids could convince her to go to bed. She was there the whole way holding John's hand. Wouldn't let go. When I went to visit her, all she wanted to talk about was Jesus. You know what? When I went and visited John in the hospital a couple of weeks, I walked in and he had the football game on. When I came in, he turns it down. He says, Pastor, I need, to pray. I need you to pray for me. I said, why? He says, well, because I look back at my life and I know all of the times that I've prayed, Jesus always came through. And then he says, you know what? By the way, too, they finally brought me dinner, but there's only one thing I want tonight. I want to get out of this bed and I want to go to the Christmas concert at the church. Everyone in the room laughed. <laughs> and we looked at John and said, John, Dude, take some rest, man. <laughs> you know, uh, it's okay. And spending Christmas Eve and the day after Christmas and Friday with John and Carol and the whole family is the best place I could have been in the whole world. Because I was with people who know that because of Jesus, we've got hope. And it was only months ago that I was looking at my father through a plexiglass window, laying in a chair with cancer as well. You see, friends, When we look into the mirror of our lives, what we see is is a body that's wasting away because of the separation from God that the devil has caused. But what we find here is a word that can give us hope even in the valley of the shadow of death. The Bible promises, yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. That's my favorite part. Friends, we're living in the valley. I can tell you that 2022 is going to be the best year ever. I can tell you that we're not going to have any problems. I can tell you that we're not going to suffer any setbacks or have any heartbreaks or pain. That's not true. All of those things are going to happen. The devil's going to keep doing what he's been doing. The devil's going to keep trying to convince us that God doesn't love us. He's going to keep trying to paint a picture of God that causes us to walk away. But there's something that Carol and I know We know that when you give your life to Jesus, you can be in that valley of the shadow of death and he, and he, Jesus, will keep his promise, won't he? He will set up a table in the presence of our enemy and he will say, surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's no end to that, is there? And so today, Pendleton Church family, I'm here to tell you that God wants to keep his promises in your life through a relationship with you. I can preach the word to you every week. I can pray every day. And it's not going to do for you what would happen in your life if you will actually open God's word on a daily basis, praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life. And friends, it doesn't mean that we won't suffer heartaches, pain, and loss, but what it does mean is that when that devil comes to try to tell us lives about our Jesus, we're going to be able to say, no, no, no. No, 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 devil. 
My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ. Don't waste your times. Don't waste your time this year with resolutions, friend. Quit making a resolve to stop living the life of sin caused by the separation from God that we all suffer and instead join me in spending time praying daily for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Open the word of God and let him change you from glory to glory to be more like him because here's something that I know to be true. Someday, when the clouds open up and we hear the trumpet call of God, the archangel Choirs of angels singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. In that moment when those clouds open and we hear the horns blasting and the earth shakes, those of us who know Jesus and have a relationship with him instead of running to the hills, crying for the rocks to fall, we'll say, oh, at last, our hope has come. And we will hear the names of each and every loved person we've lost in this valley of the shadow of death, we will hear our Lord and Savior keeping his promise to call us home, to be in a place that he's gone to prepare for us. We will see Jesus, friends. I don't want you to wait to see Jesus. Quit making resolutions to keep rules so that he'll finally be in your life and instead say, Lord, I can never keep those rules no matter how good I know they are. Bring a revolution into my life today. Prepare me to see you when you come again. This is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.